There we go. <laughs> Second Timothy. So I was just trying to seek the Lord's guidance. Um, we've kind of done some thematic things, and I really wanted to just do another scripture. I just love doing Jude so much. That was bust my soul. And I thought we we're going to jump into 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy, and if you see the picture on the screen, and it's kind of a tricky toss sometimes, isn't it? Tossing the baton to the next person, right? We want to make sure that they grab hold of it. Well, what we're going to see in the book of 2 Timothy is Paul passing the faith along to Timothy. And then my challenge to you as we work through this book over the next few weeks is I want you to be thinking how you are taking the faith that's been given to you and you're investing it and passing it on to someone else. And that's pretty much the theme of our message uh, today. So let's look together in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. We're going to be doing verses 1 through 7 uh, today. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve from uh, my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance thy unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwell first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Verse 6, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That'll be a good verse for us to really click with today. I want to start with the illustration that kind of helps the idea of passing things down. And it also may be a warning to some of us today too. Mary Kidd and her colleagues meet every week in a loft in New York City with a clear mission to digitize and preserve old VHS tapes. Did any of you have old VHS tapes sitting around? I, I was thinking about my wedding tapes when I read this. The loft has racks of tape decks, oscillopes, vector scopes, and waveform monitors that help ensure a quality transfer from analog, VHS, to digital. Kid and the others are archivists and they're preservationists for the XFR collective, the transfer collective. And while the mood is light, there is some sense of a deadline. That's because VHS tapes probably can't survive beyond 15 to 20 years. Whoops, did anybody just say that right there? <laughs> Some call the, this the magnetic media crisis and archivists and preservationists and librarians like the ones in the transfer collective are trying to reverse it. Sounds and images are magnetized onto strips of tape, but over time, the tape slowly loses its magnetic properties. Most tapes were recorded in the 1980s and 90s. That doesn't seem that long ago, does it? When video cameras first became available. That means even the best kept tapes eventually will be unwatchable. The thing is, many people don't realize their tapes are degrading. And some who do know, like Mary Kidd, haven't even gotten around to their own tapes. Sometimes I do fall asleep at night thinking to myself, oh no, is this tape in the storage space that, that I own slowly turning into goo? So the volunteers devote themselves to this work because if they don't save these intimate, 
personal histories, it's possible that no one will. I want you to think about this this way. It is the job of every generation to pass the faith along to the next generation. If we don't, to use her words, it could all turn to goo, (laughs) right? As we make our way through 2 Timothy, I want you to see here that Paul knows his time is about to come to an end. I think Paul, when you read the book, and you'll see when we get towards the end of the book, I think he knew that he was going to die a martyr's death. He knew what was coming. And because of that, he was even more urgent in his sharing with Timothy to try to pour everything he could into Timothy. Now, the thing that I think is pretty exciting is we're still continuing the work of Paul 2,000 years later. So a lot of people have been doing their job, haven't they? Right? So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what it takes to pass the faith that's been changing the world on to the next generation. Now, I know many of you, you have kids that you're investing in. And I think if you're a parent today or a grandparent today, that's where you start. You need to make sure you're investing in your children and your grandchildren. But some of you today maybe don't have kids. And so what I want to really challenge you through this series is to think about how am I being mentored and who am I really pouring my faith into? And if you don't have someone or you don't have a way to do that, we can help you with that definitely here at our church. Ask the Lord to lead your heart about how you can invest yourself in others. So very simply today, we're going to make our way through these verses, and hopefully the Lord will speak to our hearts about how we can do just that. First thing I want to see this morning is the promise of life. Look down at verse 1, the promise of life. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you study much of uh, Paul's epistles, you're going to see he's going to use a very similar greeting. A lot of times he just uses grace and peace, but in these pastoral letters, he throws in another word that I really like, and that is mercy. I think it's because preachers need a lot of mercy. (laughs) Grace, mercy, and peace be to you. Now, here's what I think is interesting. Because Paul knows death is approaching, look at how he words that first verse. In keeping with what? The promise of life. He knows death is coming, but he also knows that life is coming. Do you know that today? We can get a little overwhelmed when we think about death, right? I mean, it just kind of like some people completely will avoid death. Do you know anybody like that? They won't go to funerals just because they don't ever want to be around death. Some people, if you talk about death, immediately they want to change the subject. They don't want anything to do with death. But death is reality, isn't it, right? Okay. Here you are, the first Sunday after Christmas and Christmas joy, and all the preacher is just bringing you down, right? Death is real, but what Paul says, even though he knows what is ahead, life that is to come is just as real as that death, and it is eternal. That promise of life is what keeps him going. Some of you today are struggling with going. Amen? Right? I don't really want to go today. I don't want to get out of bed today. I don't want to go to work today. We would love to have a life where we could just sleep in as long as we want, wake up, our mom and dad makes us breakfast, wake up, they give us presents, wake up, and they just take care of our needs, right? Isaiah and Brooklyn, you would love a life like that, wouldn't you? I had to pick on them. They're both here today. We would love that life, but what our life is a lot of times is not like that, is it? 
I don't want to get up. I don't want to go face my boss. I don't want to deal with this dirty dishes. I don't want to deal with these bills. I don't want to deal with this ankle that's bugging me again and again. I don't want to deal with all these problems. And today I want to remind you that, well, think about where Paul is coming from, right? He'd already been beat 39 times, three times, three separate occasions. He was beat 39 times with a whip. He'd been left for dead after he was stoned. He'd been shipwrecked. And then he had all the anxiety and the cares of the churches and all, like we talked about in our Sunday school with Corinth today, all that stuff that he had to deal with. You ever think Paul had a day that he's like, I just don't want to get out of bed today. He had a hard time seeing. We know other people had to write some of his letters for him because he couldn't write it. I'm sure his body just ached. And even here he sees death coming. But what does he say? It says, Timothy, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus Grace, mercy, and peace to you. I'm going to get up today. In keeping with the promise of life, I'm going to get out of bed today. In keeping with the promise of life, I'm going to try to do what the Lord has for me today. Because I know what's ahead, and I cannot quit. Now today, I'm going to tell you, sometimes we don't get out of the bed. And sometimes we need somebody to come help us out. Amen? You're going to hear that today a little bit to do. And I want you to be thinking about that as well. Lord, who do I need to be helping? And maybe where do I need to get help from so I can get up and get going again? Again, a great way for you to pray for your brothers and sisters today that the Lord's grace, his mercy, and his peace be with you in Christ Jesus. Paul not only is seeing what's ahead, he's also very thankful. Look at verse 3. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Paul is thankful. Look again there in verse three. He is thankful for his ancestors, for those who passed the faith down to him. Who gave you the gospel? Where'd you get it from? Maybe it was television. Maybe it was radio. I got the gospel from about probably four different people in my life that really hammered me with the gospel. I grew up in a free will Baptist church like this one, but not at all like this one. This one's building is amazing. But my grandpa Malone, he was a coal miner. He was an electrician at McDonnell Douglas. He was an electrician at the Decatur water plant. And then he pastored a church on the side. <laughs> And when he preached, I listened. And that was my example of the gospel. My mom, her heart, as sweet as can be, and her desire was to please God. And I've seen that since the day I was born. And there was a guy in junior church. We used to have junior church. His name was Ivan Maxwell. And he was ornery as a snake. But when he got saved, he got changed. And he could tell stories better than just about anybody in our church. He was our junior church pastor. And he told us the gospel. And my dad, who had, was kind of a recent Christian, did not want Ivan Maxwell leading me to the Lord because he wanted to lead me to the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And so my dad made sure that we had family devotions. And every day after school, we'd hear the word of God and hear the gospel. I am so thankful for the people who poured the gospel into my life. Who's poured it into your life? This morning, even as you sit there, thank the Lord that someone gave you the gospel. 
Paul says, for those people I'm thankful. He says, I'm also thankful for a clear conscience. Do you have that today? Paul says, I put it all out on the court, so to speak, right? I run the race. We're going to see that here in this book. Paul says, I did everything I can to give my life to God, and so I am thankful for a clear conscience. I'm challenging us today to live a life like that. Paul is also thankful for the churches that Timothy is ministering to. So he's going to all these different places Timothy is to try to keep all the plates spinning that Paul got started. And he wants to tell those people that he prays for them, that he loves them, he knows them. And then look at verse 4, what does he say? And he also recalls their tears. That may be another thing that kind of kept him going, don't you think? Man, these people love me. They want to see me. I remember when I left how they were crying that I would be able to come back because our relationship was so strong and so good. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. You guys should be able to preach this part of the sermon right here, right now, right? What's coming, right? If we give God the glory, he gives us the joy. I tell you, I'm not making this stuff up. Look in the word of God. When you seek the glory of the Lord, the Lord fills your heart with joy. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. I've been seeking God's glory. I have a clear conscience. I've been seeking it so strongly. And now what I'm looking for is when I can be reunited. I can see God's spirit in your heart and I can be filled with joy. He is thankful. One more thing he's thankful for this morning. That's a sincere faith. Look at verse five. Paul says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul is so encouraged because of the legacy that was passed down to Timothy. Now, Timothy's dad was Roman, but his mother was Jewish. So he had some of the same things that we've come from, right? I'm sure a Roman education probably had a whole lot of secular training in it, right? A lot of things that said Caesar is Lord. Don't believe anything else you hear. And yet, because of the faith of Lois and Eunice, Paul saw that in Timothy. He poured his heart into Timothy, and Timothy decided he would serve the Lord as well. And Paul says, I'm so encouraged that you have this sincere faith. Again, Think with me today, who first modeled what it looks like to be a Christian in your life? Who has invested in you over the years? Thank the Lord for them. Who has, uh, who has helped you? Help someone else. Remember on Christmas Eve, Brian Anderson? <laughs> I think that's the greatest story, isn't it, right? Right? When you give to others, the Lord always seems to find a way to get it back, doesn't he, right? Cast your bread on the waters, right? It returns to you. This same truth here, Paul is seeing in Timothy. He says to Timothy, I know that you have a real faith. It wasn't fake. And man, if I could echo what Vicki said 100,000 times this morning, we want you to be you when you're here. All right? Some Sundays you're going to come here and life's just going to stink. And some of us are going to be shouting and singing and praising the Lord and raising hands like, woo, God is good. You'll be like, where's God at in my life? I want the good stuff. This is, it stinks right now. And what we want to tell you is that's okay. Sometimes life is just hard, and sometimes we have to grieve, and sometimes we need a brother and sister to come alongside us. The scripture tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep or mourn with those who weep and mourn, right? So please, don't ever make someone feel like that they have to fake a smile or to fake something when they come to church. 
Let them come, let God's Spirit work in them and lift them up. And let's try to lift them up, but let's never have anybody put on a fake faith. Again, Paul says to Timothy, what I appreciate about you is your faith is real. It it wasn't like a person's faith that says, well, I obey the parts of the Bible that I like. Anybody like that? Maybe me, maybe you. (laughs) Be careful, right? A real faith. It wasn't just some emotional experience. We've all been around people like that. Maybe we've been that way, right? Oh, I love the oohs and the ahs and the goosebumps, and I know the Lord's around. Well, is the Lord around when there's no goosebumps and you're handing out some food downtown? You better believe he is. There's no goosebumps and you're in the jail and you're praying with a brother who's dealing with a heroin addiction. You better believe he is, right? When you're in the nursing home and nobody's visited this person in two years and you show up beside their bed and you tell them that Jesus loves them, you think the Lord's there? You better believe he is. You guys, it's not just what you say, it's what you do. And it's not just what you feel, but it is living out the truth that you know. So this morning, I want to challenge you. Is your faith the real deal? Or are you just faking it? I know most of you, and I don't think you're faking it. By the way, I see your testimony in your life. Uh, Again, I challenge each of us today to pursue it with passion. Last thing this morning, and where we want to spend most of our time is to fan the flame. And if you guys will bear with me, I think there's something here that can encourage you and it can help you speak this truth to other people. We're going to flip the verses. So we're going to actually look at verse seven a little bit first and then come back in verse six. I'm going to read six and seven here right now, and then let's do that. Paul says to Timothy, verse six, for this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, again, it's NIV, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So first thing I want to ask you today, where does timidity, where does fear show up in your life? I feel like I should make a personal visit to everyone in their pew right now. We could have a conversation. Maybe I could give you a piece of paper and you could write down, what are you afraid of? I'm going to be real honest with you, a lot of you, and maybe this is way too arrogant, but I think I've been around quite a few of you enough that I think I could write down one or two things for about each of you and be pretty close about what you're afraid of. Now, the preacher's never afraid, right? What are you timid about today? That's where I want to challenge you. I want you to think about that just for this moment. Lord, what, what's, what's, your, what's my biggest fear? What's keeping me from doing the thing you want me to do the most? If you need a little hint or help, maybe some of it's money. If I only had money, I could do X, Y, and Z. For some of you, it's just being bold and courageous in sharing the gospel. For some of you, it's just being bold and courageous and maybe praying with your children. For some of you, the Lord has got a call on you, and I don't even have to tell you. You know what the Lord is saying to you, and you know what it is, and you're like, I'm just not ready. And God keeps pushing. But the Spirit says, I don't give you a spirit that is timid or fear-based. Where is timidity showing up in your life? Do you think Timothy was afraid of anything? Wouldn't that be horrible to follow Paul? (laughs) I mean, seriously, right? Here's a guy that has a walking miracle, the most amazing testimony in the world. He's led all these people to Christ, and he says, you go in there and keep it going. And you question someone who's not doing what the scripture says, and they would say, well, you're not Paul. Who are you to tell me? Oh, you're right. You're right. 
I mean, you could just see Timothy almost back away, right? And he needs this message that it is not about Paul. It is not about Peter. As we saw in Sunday school, it is not about Apollos. And it's not about the Holy Joes who would say, well, we're for Jesus. (laughs) It is about the church. It is about the gospel. And that's what Timothy needs to hear. And so Paul shares that with him. Now, I want to emphasize this. Look in verse 7 again. The Spirit gives us. I'm going to speak so clear. If you guys were here a few years ago, we talked about the stuck series. The Spirit gives us. This is not about you manning up or picking yourself up by the bootstraps or having mind over matter. This is not about you walking out of this place today and saying, I'm going to be better. So I'm going to tell you, you're not. How about that? I'm going to try harder. I'm going to work at it more. What Paul tells Timothy here is he needs the Holy Spirit if he's going to overcome this timidity. And I'm going to tell you today, you need him too. And the preacher most desperately needs him if he's going to do what the Lord has called him to do. So quit trying to do it yourself. You can't. That's the message that Paul gives Timothy right here. We say it a different way. Maybe it makes sense. You will not overcome a spiritual battle with human resources. You can't do it. You go try to fight a spiritual battle with your physical stuff, you're going to get smoked is the word we like. You're going to get destroyed. We need the Holy Spirit. And so let's look again at the things that the Holy Spirit gives us to overcome our timidity and our fear. First thing, the Holy Spirit gives us what? Power. What's the difference between our power and the power of the Holy Spirit? Some of you got a lot of power. Some of you have a lot of gifts and abilities. What's the difference between what we just have as talent and the Holy Spirit at work? Well, when the Holy Spirit shows up, it usually shows that we aren't doing it of ourselves. And then you kind of know, oh, wait a minute, there's that power. For me in my life has been different opportunities and occasions. When I was at Judy's funeral last Thursday and I was preaching, I'm going to tell you, it was not me. I was not even hardly there in body I was, but the spirit was the one speaking that day. And he had prepared the message and he was the one who conveyed it. And I was just there to watch. And it was so encouraging, but I knew it wasn't me. It doesn't happen very often for me. I wish it happened all the time, but that was one of those moments where I was like, there's the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way I could be what I needed to be in that situation was to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit not only gives us power, but what else does he give us? He gives us love. Do anybody you have a hard time loving? I thought I heard an amen there for a second. Right? There's a few people. There's that person at work that drives you insane. There's that family member that you met at Thanksgiving or Christmas who wanted to espouse all their views and tell you how you were wrong, right? There's that neighbor that continually does something that drives you just nuts. But do you have any real enemies? Some of you may have in your, from your past life before Christ may have made some enemies. Some of you may have physical enemies. But I always think about when I think of this story, it always blows my mind. If you haven't ever heard it, you need to check out Corey Ten Boom. And she grew up in that era where she had to deal with Nazis, literal Nazis, not like just a uh, straw man. And after she was released and after she found her other life, at one time she walked into a place and she ran into one of her Nazi captors. And she said, there is no way I can love him. And she said, the Holy Spirit 
helped her to love her Nazi captor. No way she could do that on her own, but with the Spirit's power, she could do it. That family member, that's just, you're like, I can't stand to be around them, but the Lord keeps kind of nudging you that way. Guess what? Can the Lord help you love them? Amen, right? He can, right? That coworker, maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's just somebody else that's in the office that drives you. You're just like, why do they do this? And maybe their lifestyle is a mess. And you're like, you claim to be a Christian and you live like this. Why do you do this? You're like, how can I love that person? The Holy Spirit can help us love. And some of you, I know it's hard. It's hard to go in some of the places we talked about, whether it's the jail or the nursing home or even downtown. But the Holy Spirit can help us love even when we don't want to love. And that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. The third thing the Holy Spirit gives us is what? Again, King James here says sound mind, and NIV has the idea of self-discipline. And to me, if you look at the books of 2 Timothy, the book of Titus, Paul has written both of these books. He talks about this idea of sound over and over again. And sound here means to be healthy, to be true, to ring true. Have you ever heard something? You're just like, that's right. You know, sometimes you just know right when you hear it. That's what he means by this idea of self-discipline and sound mind. We need a discipline that the Holy Spirit can give us so that we can abide in the Lord. Sometimes we just don't want to obey, amen? I know God wants me to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't really want to go to the homeless today. I, got, I want to go see the game. I want to go sit in my nice little couch with my lights and eat my dinner. Who knows? They're probably going to not even use it for the right thing anyway, right? I don't want to do that. I don't want to obey. I don't want to turn the channel. I kind of like watching that dirty show a little bit. It makes me feel good. I like to get a little bit out of that. I enjoy it sometimes. I don't want to, I don't want to not do that. How about you? What is it today? I don't want to tell that person. I'm scared of this. What if I say the wrong thing? What if they get upset at me? What if they don't like me anymore after I tell them about Jesus, the truth of the gospel? I don't want to do that. Do you see why we need the Holy Spirit so much? Because we do it on our own. It's not going to get done the way that it needs to get done. We need the Spirit of God. We need to abide in the vine. So here's what I want to challenge you with. And this is just kind of hit me, and you guys can measure it and test it and see what you think. The NIV has the phrase, how do we fan into flame the gift of God? And I would tell you today, I believe the gift of God is the Holy Spirit. How do we fan into flame the Holy Spirit? How do you fan any flame? And today, I almost was really tempted to go get some logs and to sit them up here, <laughs> let them just be embers. For those of you guys that have been camping before, ladies and men, what do you do the next morning? Have you ever been camping and that, that night before you have your hot dogs and your s'mores and the fire just roars and it kind of calms down? And then what do you like to, anybody like the next morning, you know what I like to do? I like to go get a little stoker and just like start, see if I can get the fire going again, right? And usually you may poke it around a little bit. And a lot of times, if it hasn't really rained hard, there'll be a ton of heat underneath all that ash, won't there, right? The flame is just waiting for a few things, right? It needs oxygen and it needs something to consume, fan into flame the gift of God. If the gift of God is going to really grow in you, what does it need? It needs oxygen. And can I tell you, today, I'm trying to be real careful here, but I'm going to tell you today, some of you, you are starving the Holy Spirit in your life 
You are quenching it. You're quenching him. You are killing the oxygen that the Holy Spirit needs to make your life a flame. When you choose anger over forgiveness, you're turning off the oxygen. Amen? We've all been there, right? Sometimes it feels good to get that little feeling of vengeance, that little feeling of, but they did me wrong. And Brother Michael's going to talk about justifiable resentment in a few weeks. And it's going to, if you haven't heard that idea before, it'll blow you away. It's really good. But sometimes we, we have been wrong. But what we do is we linger in that anger because somehow in us, that anger is still satisfying something in us that we need to release. And I'm telling you today, when you do that, you might as well just be turning the oxygen down a little bit more, right? What do we need to fan the flame? So I'm going to give you a few things to think about today that will increase the oxygen level uh, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you want to fan the flame, you give it oxygen. And I, my question is, are you giving oxygen to the flame that is the Holy Spirit? So a few things that we can do to increase oxygen. And I put this one first. You may think this is kind of strange, but I want to challenge you here. Serve. What will fan the flame a lot of times for many people is when they jump into service. And the reason is when you jump into service, what happens to you? I can't do this. What? You want me to go downtown to meet a stranger I've never seen before to hand them some gloves or some food? I don't know how to, that scares me to death. <laughs> and if you start doing that, what happens? Oh, Lord, I'm scared to death. You've got to help me when I do this today. Serve. What happens when you go into a jail ministry and all of a sudden it's your turn to give the talk? I'm not a public speaker. There's no way I could share that. There's, I just, how will I do that? I don't have that kind of knowledge. I don't have that ability. What does it make you do? Pray, seek the Lord, <laughs> cry out for help. And that's what I'm saying. When you start jumping into service for the Lord, and you need to follow the Lord's lead in those things. I'm not telling you what you have to do. But when you get out of your little box, your little comfort area, and you start serving, then all of a sudden, guess what? I need the Holy Spirit because I know I can't do this. And I'm challenging you today to jump into what the Lord has called you to do. I just put up here, when a humble heart serves, it finds out it cannot serve without the Holy Spirit. Again, whether it's a nursing home or a jail or downtown Indy, you'll find out how much you need the Lord to help you help others. All right, oxygen. What else can give the Holy Spirit oxygen? What else can fan the flame? We need to communicate, right? How does communication work in most relationships, like in a marriage? That's usually one person telling the other person what to do, amen? No, <laughs> that doesn't really work so well, does it? Maybe you've tried it, I have. Or it's been tried on me, vice versa, both ways, right? You need it coming both ways, and you need that way with the Lord. And I know we're laughing a little bit here this morning, but I'm just so honest with you. Some of you, you never read the scriptures on a regular basis, and you're not going to see the, the, the flame be fanned if you won't spend time in God's word. Get in the word, please, I beg of you. Some of you, like the preacher, you struggle with being quiet, with settling, with being still. You need to pray, and you're not going to see the flame become everything it needs to be if you won't talk to the Lord. You need to listen to the Lord when you read the Word, and you need to talk to the Lord 
about what's on your heart. You need to pray, you need to read, and ultimately, your preacher says, you've got to worship. When you start worshiping the Lord, that's when that flame just like, right? Today, when we were singing, and you put that together with this idea of the promise of life that Paul says, I can get out of bed tomorrow, I'll be okay. Even I am going to my in-laws, but I can do it. (laughs) I'm gonna get out today, right? I'm gonna do it. All right, serving, communicating. What's the third thing? I love this one. Fellowship, all right? Now, fellowship isn't just sitting down having a meal, but I think that's really important. Brother Rick, I think, reminds us that, that quite a bit. Uncle Tim, Wendy's Uncle Tim, when we were over in Illinois, said the same thing. Travis, if the church doesn't have fellowship, you might as well shut it down. You can have truth, but if you don't see that love, it's not doing what it needs to do. You've got to have it together. Now, one of the ways you can fellowship, one of the ways we fellowship is in our ministry, right? When we prep, when people bring stuff in, like to see Joni bring stuff in, to see her son making stuff for church, isn't that awesome? We are fellowshipping, right? Okay. When we get back there in the room and you guys are doing all the bags and you're doing the stickers and you're putting everything together, you are fellowshipping. When we get in our cars and we load them up and we all show up at the library and look like a bunch of crazies with free stuff, (laughs) we are fellowshipping in service and we need that. All right. But there's other times we fellowship too. I'll be careful here. Oh boy. Like where I was last Thursday, we could go Thursday, there were people fellowshipping, but they were fellowshipping around the casket of a godly woman that they loved. They were around three boys who lost their mother, and they were showing kindness and love. And they were a family in hard times. And we need that kind of fellowship too, right? Because when that hard time hits, I need to see, how did Robert handle that when the hard time hit him? Oh, I remember that. And he made it, and he depended on the Lord, and I can do like Robert, right? When Todd and Donna had the scariest situation in their life, and they didn't know the outcome, they trusted the Lord, and I got a super scary situation. But I'm going to talk to them, because they've been through that. Maybe they can help me make my way through this thing. That is fellowship. And we need it. And we have it, by the way. We need to not mess it up. (laughs) But we have it here. Godly friendships godly community that makes that oxygen. That's just like turning, again, I almost brought my propane tank today. I thought I'll light that fire. I thought I'd scare everybody with a big torch out today. (laughs) But when you turn up and you feed that flame, you feed it the propane or you feed it the oxygen, you feed it something to consume, what happens? It just starts really growing, doesn't it, right? And the more you feed it, the more it grows. And I'm telling you today, folks, we need to fan the flame. We need to give the Holy Spirit the oxygen that he needs to really make us what we need to be. So my question this morning is, how much oxygen does the Holy Spirit have in your life to flame up? I want to close with a super simple illustration. Probably most of you heard it before, but I think it's a great picture of this idea of taking that, uh, what's been invested in us, and passing it on to someone else. This is from Howard Hendricks. He says, every person should seek to have three individuals in their lives, a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy, right? A Paul, listen to this, a Paul is an older person who is willing to mentor you, to build into your life, not somebody who's smarter or more gifted, but somebody who's been down the road, somebody willing to share their strengths and their weaknesses, everything they've learned in the laboratory of life, somebody whose faith you'll want to imitate. Everybody needs a Paul. Do you have one today? 
Everybody needs a Barnabas. I like this. A Barnabas is a soul brother, somebody who loves you but is not impressed by you, <laughs> somebody to whom you can be accountable, somebody who's willing to keep you honest and who's willing to say, hey, man, you're neglecting your spouse. Don't give me any guff about it. Ladies, the same thing. You need a Barnabas in your life. And then everybody needs a Timothy, a younger person into whose life you are building. Again, we're reading here in 2 Timothy. Here's Paul, quintessential mentor, building into the life of his protege, affirming, encouraging, teaching, correcting, directing, and praying. And so Howard Hendricks says, do you have these three people in your life? I want to challenge you this morning. First thing, who's your Paul? Who can you look to as an example of how to live through difficult times? You guys, we have some older folks in our church here who are amazing. They've been through some hard stuff, and they can be a real encouragement. And they would be glad to share with you what they've been through, but you got to be humble enough to approach them. Who's your Barnabas? Now, everybody can be your Barnabas, right? Who's that brother or sister that they know you, and they can tell you kind of what for, and you've kind of given that permission. Hey, if you see me and I'm not at the right spot, I need you to step in. For a lot of us, that's just our spouse, right? Hey, you have permission to tell me this isn't right. And the last one, who is your Timothy? And this is one I really want to challenge you with this morning. Who are you pouring your life into? Who are you helping to fan the flame? My final encouragement today is let's increase the oxygen levels in our life that we might fan the flame of the Holy Spirit and in turn pass the faith along to those who come after us. Let's stand this morning. You guys, 